0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam.
1: And my name is Jeremy. And
0: we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 237, cover date of early November of 1988. Not sure why I just said October, Mm -hmm. almost. Uh, And on sale July 5th of 1988 with a cover price of a dollar. This one's titled, Who's Human?
1: But on the cover it says, All Aboard the Mutant Train.
0: Which I think is a better title.
1: I do too. Um, cover, it's Rick Leonardi. And as much as I complain about Rick Leonardi, it's actually, I, I'm actually going to give uh, this cover and actually the artwork in this book, just general praise.
0: I, the, I disagree with you on the cover. I think that's a good concept art. I think it's poorly executed. <laughs> I do think the interior art is fine though?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's a good rogue. Um, Wolverine is, he, he doesn't look. Like a good Wolverine, but as we learn in the comic, he is like f- literally falling apart because, uh, spoilers, he doesn't have his healing factor. So he just kind of looks, you know, I don't know, like he looks tired. looks like he's falling apart in this cover.
0: It might also be the colors that I don't like. I'm not a big fan of browns and
1: blues, so
0: I guess. Uh, browns and blues together.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cover of Rogue and Wolverine on the top of a train. It's speeding down a railway. Uh, you've got um, some, some street lights, some power cables.
0: Uh, I don't think they're street lights. They're well, train lights.
1: Whatever. They, they There's look, no street here. True, but they're, they're lights that look like street lights. It's the best way I could articulate it. Because if I say, yeah, they're train lights, people are going to be like, what, what's a train light?
0: There are lights on the side of the train tracks that look much like street lamps.
1: Thank you for that.
0: Uh, They've both got a leg up in the air, which makes it seem like they must have just jumped. Mm -hmm. I feel like there is a... I don't know what's going on with this bulge that might be Rogue's leg, but also might be Wolverine's arm. It's colored brown.
1: Oh, yeah. The thing that's kind of in the middle of everything? Yeah. That's, uh... I
0: think it's Wolverine's arm, but it's colored like Rogue's leg.
1: I think you're right. I think the colorist was like, I don't know what's happening here, so it's all rogue <laughs> uh, but I, you're right it that's Wolverine's arm for sure. it's got to be and uh, yeah Rogue Rogue's got her arm around Wolverine like as if she's holding him onto the train, I think
0: yeah, and she's she's got a grip on something that we can't quite see. it looks like a light
1: yeah Wolverine's got a grip on nothing
0: yeah, he's going he's going off.
1: <laughs> so there you go. But I mean, you know, they're, they're cranking. These are, these are bi-monthly or bi-weekly, I guess, issues. So they're just cranking these covers out.
0: Oh, yeah. They've been alternating like Rick Lee and and Dan Silvestri, Mark Silvestri. <laughs>
1: just,
0: I combine Dan Green and Mark Silvestri. Just
1: combine your artists. It's all the same, right?
0: Um, do you think, does this pass the T-shirt test? Because I'm going to say no.
1: <laughs> well, eh.
0: see this at Target. I pass it up.
1: Yeah. I don't know nostalgia would probably get me
0: do you own this issue
1: I uh I I don't I think so pretty sure I do Mm. Uh,
0: must be a memorable one
1: (laughs) (laughs) this whole area of comic books is a little fuzzy for me because I was buying like I said uh, last week uh, I was buying them as I could find them at grocery stores and and uh I I don't I I own this issue for sure I just don't remember if I bought it as it came out Mm. but uh yeah yeah so, yeah, as we open up this book, it's, uh, it's written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Rick Leonardi, inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Tom Orszakowski, colored by Glennis Oliver. Uh, Bob Harris is the editor and Tom DeFalco is the editor in chief. And you got a lot of futuristic uh, hover bikes filled with magistrates. I wonder if you're better with this art because it's by, inked by Terry Austin. That could be. Maybe Terry Austin's like, ugh, let me fix this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so we we turn our attention to the gene engineer's office, and he and some magistrates are trying to track the escaped uh, mutants, who who presumably have escaped in one of the Genocean air cars.
0: We uh, we do get a note that the air car is above the Indian Ocean, east of Africa, just north of the Seychelles Islands, which I probably pronounced incorrectly, um, giving us. There's a couple times in this issue where they try to pinpoint where Genosha is,
1: right? And As
0: I, last issue we were all like, "Where's Genosha?"
1: I'm pretty sure I said it's like near Africa or something. I think we what,
0: had a we had a listener write us in. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, but now now we finally have in comic book confirmation of the geographical location of Genosha.
0: More than once. Yeah, it'll yeah. come again too. You
1: gotta wonder, like. Is this the issue in which Chris Claremont's like, huh, maybe I should try to uh, place this or or I need to write in a story about international waters. But where is this place? Maybe. Mm -hmm. It seems
0: like uh, he has a more of a determination to make it a real place or Mm -hmm. a more realistic place than the previous two issues where it just kind of had no idea.
1: Right. So, Gene engineers also blaming this magistrate lieutenant for the loss of the mutants.
0: This is uh, Chief Magistrate Anderson.
1: And uh, we, we get a little banter from the magistrate saying that they can't detect anybody inside of the air car. But we, of course, know that the X-Men can't be detected by any sort of means. So, this isn't too terribly surprising.
0: So, she's got to order her men to go into the ship as it's, as it's, uh, as it's running which she doesn't want to do. She'd rather just blow the ship out of the sky. But the G-Engineer says, uh, no, I got plans for them.
1: Do we ever find out what those plans are?
0: Well, they... Um, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> Not this issue.
1: Okay. Because uh, Wipeout has already erased their powers. So, I don't know. I would think that G-Engineer would... He's the guy that, like, basically makes new mutants, right? Says so like, oh, you can do this, but I'm going to reorient your powers so they do this. But if... Wolverine and Rogue have no powers, like, what does he care?
0: Well, we don't know if that can be reversed.
1: We yet. don't. That's true. Good point.
0: But um, who knows? I mean, maybe the genes are still there. They've just been kind of subdued, and he wants to extract the genes for later. I mean, we do We do learn a little of the, a couple of the things that he is able to do outside of the mutant physical body in this issue. So maybe, maybe we'll get some more clues later on. But unfortunately, we don't actually ever find out because— spoilers his plan requires capturing these two
1: so one of the ma- magistrates uses his gun to shoot a warning shot at the air car and uh, no
0: response to my warning shots chief and that's when uh, the chief says you gotta you gotta dive in well you gotta you gotta get into the ship
1: so he jumps uh, off of his little floating cycle thing he's got a parachute on and uh, he can't draw his gun gun because he know it needs both hands um, but as soon as he gets close to the air car it explodes. Well, I think he
0: he opens something. Oh yeah opening the hatch now. So as he opens the hatch uh, something does explode. The The whole ship explodes launching him into the air off of it. And then he says uh, the engine was rigged to blow the moment anyone tried to go inside.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that was that Molo or was that decooning?
0: So Molo is the guy that tried to get into the ship. De Kooning is the guy who is in the separate uh, ship because there's, there's two of these little skiff vehicles. And who's, who's Charlie? Charlie is the guy that is uh, driving the plane that Malo dived from.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: Charlie is the one who reports to Chief Anderson.
1: Is, uh, is Charlie this dude's first name? Or is it his last name? I don't even it could it could for uh, for all I know it could be
0: a nickname it could be something that genotians call one another when they're like saying buddy
1: or is his name Charlie and this guy just has a speech impediment and calls him Charlie yeah there
0: there's a whole lot of uh, <laughs> things that it could be here
1: okay de Kooning's real name is actually Darren. this guy just can't pronounce <laughs> Darren. Molo is actually Martin. You
0: know. Yeah, totally. It could be. <laughs>
1: uh, so they, they all check in. Everybody's okay. Malo's okay. He's just royally scared and royally ticked off.
0: Return to the base, magistrate. Commendations all around. You did well.
1: Mm-hmm. Gene Junior does not think so. He's like, from your perspective, maybe, chief. But I see this fiasco a trifle less. Uh Charitable.
0: And so they head off to discuss stuff, um, and there's there's a lot of words on this page. We haven't had this many words in an X-Men book in a long time.
1: Yeah, not since Stan Lee has there been so many words on a page. It's crazy. The gist of it is that they keep they're trying to look up who these people are, and anytime they dial into a computer, uh, the files just erase themselves.
0: So Anderson suspects that because they have some sort of— like they shouldn't have been able to steal that ship— so she thinks that they must have some sort of uh, intelligence operational skills. Uh, they're, they're soldiers, basically. So she thinks that maybe they're spies from another government. Oh,
1: Gene Geneer, he's the one that deduces it. Right. Spies. Spies, he says. And he's very angry about this. That
0: makes it all the more imperative, Chief Magistrate, that we find the fugitives. We need to learn who they are, where they're from, and
1: most important, why they can't be scared or monitored. So the interesting thing about the artwork in this book is that uh, In the last issue, he was kind of uh, skinny and measured looking. But in this book, he's got like a much wider frame and he's always angry looking.
0: And I think that it's because Rick Leonardi does not know how to draw a suit.
1: Could be. But I mean, if you were to put if you were to take all these word balloons out and you were to take these panels of of, the, of Gene Geneer and put them next to the last issue's Gene Geneer, you'd be like, it's two different guys.
0: Oh, it it gets worse too. I, I think in, in the the next time we see him, like he gains uh, an, an additional size from what we see him as now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a good old Rick Leonardia.
0: <laughs> so uh, somebody comes to report on the fact that they did steal. They were they were doing some some physical testing on the two sub, uh, sus subjects that have escaped, and they ran some records on them. Um, this is where, as you mentioned, every time they try to put it into computers, it disappears. But uh, the gene engineer does say, fortune favors us. The, the man, at least so far as the man is concerned, his hemoglobin count, blah, 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 he's dying.
1: Yes. His system simply isn't producing sufficient red corpuscles to sustain his life.
0: Perhaps some facet of his power compensated for it, and now it's not.
1: Interesting thing is, and I don't know if they really talk about this. Oh, I mean, is this the—actually, I should take that back. Is this the precursor to adamantium poisoning?
0: Yes, that's my guess, at least.
1: I mean, they, they do not—I I don't believe they flat out say that in this issue, but I feel like this is laying the groundwork for that.
0: They definitely do not, but yeah, I feel like that's that's what is what is happening here.
1: So on the next page, we get a news—we get some, some more narration via news report— About how amazing Genosha is and peaceful. And we get a little history via the news article about its locations near Africa. Um, Natural anchorage at Hammer Bay. Um, So we get that location dropped on us. Uh, It's rich with iron. So they were able to become uh, able to start doing some trading and become more or less self sufficient. And somewhere in here, it says that uh, if they can get their wheat crops up, they could replace the Midwest as America's breadbasket. And, and Wolver- then we
0: also get a location. Uh, ours is an island located off the East African coast, midway between the Madagascar and the Seychelles.
1: And Wolverine's like, he's watching this on like a, a shop TV. Um, and he's not happy about this. He says, sounds wonderful. Pity it's a crock. <laughs> It's got a bad cough. And again, this is one could look at this panel and be like, "This is awful artwork." But I look at it, I'm like, "That's Wolverine, and he looks terrible." <laughs> like, not not just like he's drawn terribly, but he does not look like a well man. Yeah,
0: yeah he's definitely not.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and so he's uh, he's
0: kind of looking he's che- around. He's checking out the world around him, and a garbage truck goes by, and, and there's a mutant at the wheel, and he oversees a, or, uh, or witnesses an encounter between some magistrates and a mutant uh the mutant that's a the garbage collector who has like mr fantastic arms mm-hmm. and uh i guess they splash he the, the mutant accidentally splashes one of them with their his garbage hose like street cleaner <laughs> as well
1: yeah it's it's a crazy cool contraption i don't i don't know if he's steering it with his feet i think he's steering it with his feet oh yeah you're right he is so, so like this garbage truck is purpose built for this guy his arms extend outside the side of the the cabin that he's sitting in to pick up all the garbage cans and then outside the side of the truck is water squirting the side of the road uh to keep to keep everything nice and clean like no expense was spared in creating this mutant man his own personal garbage truck <laughs>
0: It is a, uh, it is quite the machine. Now that being mm.
1: said, it's it's very possible that the gene engineer, uh, maybe he's genetically altered all sorts of mutants to have this ability, and then they just have like a whole uh, slew of these types of trucks.
0: Yeah, there's got to be a whole like science tech team that works with the gene engineer to develop what the best uh, mutant powers are and the machines that can go with them and stuff. And this is they where they probably I... got a great R and D department.
1: Oh, totally. And this is where if 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 they were ever to do an X Men movie and if they were ever to do like the Um, genosha story as a movie like this is the scene that i would want to see it is basically the news report we just saw with all that background and how fantastic and and peaceful and and uh, economically sound genosha is and then as you zoom further in you see this army of garbage trucks and as you zoom further in you see all these mutants that are basically slaves and then that's how your story kicks off so i i actually i enjoy this part of the story i just wish there was actually a little bit more of it through the entire arc
0: Rather than just a newscast,
1: pretty much, yeah, yeah.
0: It actually reminds me a lot of Wakanda from the Black Panther movie. They kind of steer it in that direction—that it's this kind of small, isolated, like uh, population that is very self-sustaining, and they have this fantastic iron stuff that they use. And but there's, but it's like a dark secret. Version of Wakanda. It's like the evil Wakanda.
1: There you go, and that's that's probably why it would work really well. Your general populate populist audience would be like, "I recognize this. Ooh, it's not what it seems. I'm into it. Let's see what happens next." Yeah. So, so Marvel, if you're out there, we, we're looking for work. <laughs> yeah, uh, I could I could write a page or two. <laughs> yes, we, we can we can write out a story for your X
0: Men movie.
1: Totally. So yeah, the, the magistrate, he does tear up a cigarette, throws it on the ground, and tells the mutant he needs to pick up every last bit of it, or well, he's going to cite him for failure to perform his... This is my favorite. I'll cite you for failure to perform your assigned job task function. <laughs> Which is it? Is it a job, a task, or a function? Nope, it's all three. <laughs> this is your job task function.
0: This is serious, man.
1: <laughs> what about my function task job? Well, that's completely different. You know this. <laughs> I don't know. I could, I could just I read that over and over many times because like these are just synonyms for the same thing. Why are all three of these words in the same same title?
0: Well, you know he could he has a job, but you know you know mutants mutants also have job tasks <laughs> and then there are some serious mutants that they have to keep tabs on that have job task functions or
1: well, maybe it's hierarchical like his job is to keep the streets clean but under his job he has many tasks one of the tasks is to drive the truck but under the task there are many functions and one of his functions is to pick up cigarette butts
0: or maybe this guy has a stutter and he kind of like says, job task function.
1: <laughs> so at the end of every one of his sentences, he basically uses three different words for the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. That would be an amazing uh, story to see as well. <laughs> trying to, trying to come up with that dialogue. Yeah. Well, anyways, we flash back to Wolverine and rogue who uh, are kind of watching this whole thing. Wolverine's just getting angrier and angrier. And nice piece uh, of work, those magistrates. Rogue comes out and she's, she's stunning. She's got, uh, she's got a, skirt on she's got she's like got a
0: mini skirt and a like uh, uh I don't, what what do you call that type of jacket i'm not a fashion guy
1: it's not a blouse it's like a it's like a um a, a, a ladies business jacket but it's opened and then underneath it is a matching i don't want to call it a bra or a bikini top but it's definitely exposing her midriff um and she's got some shoes it's it's high 80s fashion is what it is
0: yeah it's very 80s
1: and Wolverine's like, I thought we were supposed to be inconspicuous. Which is a good point, but she says,
0: basic tradecraft, Wolvie. I don't mind being remembered. The trick is making sure that certain that nobody looks at my face. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's a good idea, but... uh
1: a little sexist, but, you know, it's the 80s. It, it,
0: it's, you, they walk into a bar and they're just assuming that... You know, not one of these people is going to not look at her face.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not not one of the men in this bar is gay. Like, oh, hey, <laughs> I know who you are. Have, get her, but no, she she walks in and uh, everyone's like, I'm in love. Outrageous. Be still my heart.
0: Yeah, it's a little much.
1: It it is, and and so Wolverine's like, oh, she's she's on to something. And then she compares the uh, he compares the two. Rogue's got the brass for this kind of caper, but Carol Danvers has the experience to pull it off. This is an asset of Rogue's dual personality which she just gained like 25 minutes ago. So I don't I don't know why Wolverine's calling this a good asset, but
0: whatever. <laughs> and Ace Ace is a world-class agent, best of all for us. She and I used to be a team. Mhm. Yeah. <clears throat> and and uh, somebody at the bar is not welcome um and we don't recognize this person but I suppose we should. <laughs>
1: Uh, but it's
0: it's another one of those Rick Leonardi draws him differently than Mark Silvestri does. This is uh, the Gene engineer's son, Philip, from the previous issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so he's not really—you really can't see his face until towards the end of the page. And even that's not really much of a help because in every other— um, Page here. He's actually. I'm I'm sorry. I'm wrong about that because that second panel, (laughs) you see his face flat on, but he does not look like Philip at all.
0: Yeah, it's square on his face.
1: Yep, my bad. So, but we very quickly do learn
0: that it's him because uh, this this kid is had too much to drink, and the engineers, the the magistrates rather, don't want him there, and he starts a fight. I'll drink where I please. You rotten magistrates can't tell me what to do. And Wolverine uh, takes advantage of the situation by starting. A bar fight. Hey,
1: everybody, uh, fight!
0: <laughs> and as the every, as everybody is fighting, he runs around picking pockets.
1: Well, so here's the thing. The plan is uh, that they need new IDs because the IDs that they lifted are probably going to be discovered and, and blacklisted pretty quickly. So, yes, Wolverine takes advantage of Phillip's, um kind of altercation to start a big bar brawl. He runs through and collects everybody's IDs so that he and Rogue essentially have a nice stash that they can rotate through. They also figure that because this bar fight was started with a civilian, it'll probably take a little while for them to report this and also report their missing IDs. So they'll have a little bit of time to make their escape. But So they set all that up, but instead of doing any of that, Philip is <laughs> thrown out into the alleyway. And the magistrates start beating him up, and then they say, hey, let's throw him on the mute train. And that's when Rogue mm. and Wolverine are like, oh, well, all right, let's go there with them.
0: Yeah, Wolverine wants to know what the mute train is.
1: I mean, ultimately, and, uh, they they never take advantage of this plan. They have all these IDs now, but they're like, "Well, let's just get on the mute train.
0: Well, let's, let's just imagine that they they do take advantage of it <laughs> like to get to the mute train. Maybe they bump into a bunch of people, and they're like, oh, here's my ID. Mm. And then they... uh you know, they throw that one out and they bump into somebody else. <laughs> oh, here's my ID too. Yeah, yeah
1: maybe. So anyways, yeah, they, they drive them off to the mute train. Uh, and,
0: uh... Wolverine and Rogue follow to the central station, the mutants only platform. The caption says, uh, central station, mutants only platform, several change of identities later.
1: <laughs> okay, oh, Fair enough, fair I enough. Made so,
0: that, I made that up.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I'll go with that. We also find <laughs> that the skin suits that uh I think we last saw Rogue, Wolverine, Madeline and what's her name? Jenny. Jenny Ransom. Yeah. When they get to this point in the processing, the the suits are grafted to them.
0: Well we don't we haven't learned that yet. That comes in a couple pages. But oh, yes. Spoilers. But Wolverine says they got him in one of those mutant skin suits. All the people boarding those trains, they got those mutant skin suits. That's what everybody calls them, skin suits. I don't know what they are yet.
1: <laughs> the train starts rolling out, and Wolverine and Rogue jump on it. Wolverine is, uh, he, he's, he's uh, puffing and puffing. He missed his mark. He almost fell off the train. Wolverine says that he can't hack it.
0: We cut to the citadel of the, oh, go ahead.
1: No, oh, Rogue says, uh, then I'll do it for both of us, chum.
0: To compensate weaknesses as well as complement strength, that's what partners are for.
1: So back at the Citadel, uh, Mutant 9817, or as we know her, Jenny Ransom, is brought to the gene engineer who you're right, he has gotten larger.
0: Yeah. I'm telling you, it just, it's the suit.
1: Gene <laughs> engineer offers him freshly brewed teas and cakes, but Jenny's like, why am I here? I'm not a mutant. There was a test. I passed it. And he
0: says, no, your your dad set up another girl to become the mutant and she ended up dying and that means that you are responsible for that girl and now you have to – you are a mutant and you have to do your responsibility to Genosha –
1: Yes, without such gifted people as yourself, how else do you think Genosha can maintain its standard of living or survive? She says it isn't fair, but he goes on to say it isn't fair, Jennifer, that this island is one of the most inhospitable rocks on the planet. However, through our God-given intelligence and talent and skill, and yes, sacrifice, we've made Genosha a paradise on Earth. So, I feel like... I don't know if we ever get this backstory, but uh, Gene engineer or maybe his descendants and the rest of the Genotians, landed on this uh, inhospitable rock, discovered mutants, enslaved them, and turned most of the rock into iron, and then started selling it and building up their civilization. I like that idea as a backstory, if, if that's in fact what it is. That's
0: all I think we ever get, so. Yeah. She it's, says it's slavery and he says that ours is a nation of 10 million, almost totally dependent for its welfare on the work of a few hundred superpower mutants. Without them, we are nothing. So without the mutants, Genosha is a mess.
1: <laughs> Indeed, their power is sufficient to destroy us. That's why we have to impose such strict control. Not slavery, child. Self-defense. Hmm.
0: All right. It's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a stretch that, I mean, it's it's a thing that... If you have to force yourself to believe this in order to survive, you probably will.
1: That's true. That's true. She asks if Philip knows and understands, and he's like, he's my son. He, he's got no choice. It's hard for him, but you know.
0: Will I still at least be a nurse, she asks. And he says, your progeny will be exceptional healers, but I'm afraid your talents will be, as we learned last issue, oriented in other directions.
1: Man, that's, and uh, his phone rings. Uh, and mutant nine eight one. Uh, they're about to do some mutant scans on 981. 9818. Oh yeah. Nine, eight, one, eight,
0: which we have to assume is
1: Madeline because
0: Jenny is nine, eight, one, seven.
1: Uh, so that would be the logical conclusion, but based on the artwork and the dialogue, there's nothing really to steer us towards her being Madeline.
0: Well, it's strange. Um, so yeah, we cut to a lab where nine, eight, one, eight is, she is never referred to as Madeline. It is Madeline. We know this because of the tiny bit of red hair (laughs) popping out from her skin suit.
1: You know what? I look at her... I guess you can kind of see the outline of breasts, but if you're not even really paying that close of attention, you might just think that this is a teenage redheaded boy. Like, it might be Rusty Collins, for all we know. It is very
0: strange because of the, the whole idea that this is somebody's first issue, that this person is not given a name.
1: Well, and the other weird thing is Jenny Ransom is... There without like uh, a hat. Right. And and if you go back further uh, to the mutants getting onto the mutant train, those mutants also don't have skin suit hats. But for some reason, Madeline here has a skin suit hat. So you can't even see like her Madeline hair. If you could see that, you'd be like, oh, OK, that's that's Madeline.
0: It's a special thing for redheads,
1: <laughs> I guess. Um, this
0: is where we get the explanation about the skin suit. We're bonding the skin suit to your flesh. In effect, it becomes your skin. It's done with all mutes so they can inst- be instantly recognized as such, and it also protects you from the elements and uh, injury. And she says that it's a completely, it's a, it's a, it's a. It's completely self-contained, totally uh, reprocessing all bodily wastes, a marvel of engineering, really. And this is where I kind of like, why didn't they just sell it? Because that would get them a lot of money. (laughs) They have this amazing technology.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's totally bonded to you, though, because then she goes on and she's like, what about children? And they say, oh, mutes don't have any in the traditional way. Uh, But before we get into the rest of that, um, one thing that would have cleared it up, because, I mean, you're right, it is Madeline. Uh, But one could argue that it's not, because there's really no other telling signs that it is. If she could just drop in here and be like, I'm not a mute, I'm human. Yeah, that would be (laughs) helpful. Right? And then you'd be like, oh, it's Madeline. Okay. This will be interesting to see where this goes. But if you're not paying that close of attention, you go through this whole page and be like, I think that might have been Madeline
0: yeah honestly we don't we don't learn that it's officially madeline until next issue, yeah, but it is
1: it, right um, so this is where we learn Gene engineer extracts your genetic materials, mixes and matches it with others to create the required biological synthesis. Babies are decanted right down the hall um
0: so this is why I'm thinking maybe the gene engineer wanted Wolverine and Rogue, even though they were depowered, he could still use their genes, okay. Uh, that's my guess.
1: Do we ever learn if if Gene Jean Engineer is just like a scientist or is he a mutant? I, feel I
0: think like, he's. I think he's a scientist because otherwise, wouldn't he be have to be in a skin suit? There are no exceptions.
1: That's a good point. I thought somewhere he says something about his power, but I guess I'm not finding it right away. But you're right. I mean, there's well, but wait, what about wipeout? He's not wearing a skin suit, and the uh, those other, the the press gang.
0: Oh now I'm gonna have to go back and look. Oh yeah, the press king definitely aren't.
1: The no wipeout was like you look like a priest.
0: Maybe that's his outfit. He gets a cool <laughs> he gets a cool priest skin suit.
1: Yeah, maybe. Well Yeah, I don't know. I guess there's a hierarchy. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, meanwhile, elsewhere on the island, the rest of the X-Men show up. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, you what? cut over a big
0: a big part. There was uh, so one of the mutants attempts to probe into Madeline's head. Uh, because I guess they're going to wipe her brain, essentially. And she starts screaming at him, more or less. If you resist, there will be pain. And she's like, I don't care. I'm warning you, leave me alone.
1: It's uh, very important. So do you think that, uh, well, I guess all mutants must go through this this process? Because I guess uh, of the... Kind of slave mutants we've seen—they've all been like, "Yes, boss, I'll do that for you, boss. I fix good." Yeah. So you think they're getting lobotomized, essentially? Yep. Okay. Okay.
0: And he—he's uh, uh, the guy who's not the mutant guy, but the other guy says, "Don't fret. When we're through, you won't miss kids or anything else."
1: Right. Right.
0: So yeah, he's essentially they're lobotomizing the the slaves, the slave mutants. So yeah, I guess there is a hierarchy. There are slave mutants, and there are. Mutants that I guess have agreed to give up their freedom in order to serve the government.
1: Sure. So, meanwhile, elsewhere on the island, Gateway teleports the rest of the X-Men to Genosha.
0: Right in front of a bunch of magistrate trucks, uh, jeeps, uh, soldier transporters.
1: And they look over and they're like, hey, those are like the Jokers we tangled with in Sydney. And the magistrates start firing most Captain, egg- I
0: see them, but they don't register on any sensors. Mutants, then, armed with a cloaking device. Open fire!
1: <laughs> uh, most of them hide behind Colossus. Uh, bullets bounce off of him. Storm whips up a, a hurricane wind to sweep the soldiers off their feet.
0: Longshot grabs one and says, Why, Why'd you start shooting? You didn't give us a chance to say hello or explain it or, or anything.
1: ha! Ah. <laughs> And uh, the magistrate says, we're magistrates, gene joke. There's that nasty word again. Ah. <laughs> yeah, we don't explain the likes of you. Colossus throws one of the vehicles up in the air and asks Havoc if he would like to dispose of it. And Havoc blows it away.
0: And uh, to bring the scuffle to a conclusion, Psylocke goes into all of their heads and knocks everybody down. Um, and then Dazzler finishes them off by... Dazzling them.
1: Uh, Longshot wants to know if they're going to take them as prisoners. Colossus says, it's not that simple. They are not criminals, but policemen enforcing the laws of their country. Does that mean we killed them? (laughs) And uh, Storm and Psylocke are like, nah, we'll just scramble their brains. Give me a second here. And as she is about to scramble their minds, she falls over screaming in pain.
0: And then we cut to... The reason that she's screaming in pain essentially is we the engineer is being brought into the room where we just left uh, with Madeline in it. Although nobody actually tells us that,
1: oh, you're you kind of right. have
0: to piece it together to yourself. But everybody inside of that room is dead. Um, some of them are on the ceiling. Some of them are their their blood is against the walls. It looks like all the machinery has been tossed around.
1: So I read this completely differently. The way I read it was, uh, and you're probably right. Uh, the way I read it was, Betsy says earlier, she says, they all pass rudimentary sigh screens. Take me a moment to bypass them. And then she screams. The alarms go off. Gene Jr. heads off inside. I thought that this room was like like the mutant telepaths room where these mutants would form like sigh screens for all the genotians. And due to the strain of everything that just happened, they died and are floating around telepathically.
0: Oh wow! You 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 went really into it. You created your whole like <laughs> other 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 scenario.
1: I did. It was kind of like you remember the hybrids from Battlestar Galactica. I kind of <laughs> okay. in, or the uh, what are the the size from what's that uh, uh, the movie with uh, Tom Cruise swiping at the air with computers?
0: Oh. Uh... Yeah. Minority report.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't they have like like sigh rooms or something?
0: Yeah, the, the the lady who's inside the water. All yeah. the sighs are in the water things.
1: That's that's the scene that I that I thought this was. Uh but what you are explaining makes way more sense.
0: <laughs> it is not very clear. Um and although actually I, I don't
1: know if it does make way more sense because do we ever find out why Betsy doubles over in pain?
0: Because of what just happened. She oh. she gets a psychic feedback from what Madeline does in that room. Okay. And I only know this because it's in the next issue.
1: <laughs> oh, so you read ahead and you're just spoiling it for me.
0: Uh, k- kind of, sorta,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to, cause it, it is, it is not very clear.
0: Uh, Elizabeth, uh, Betsy says she had a psychic shockwave of unimaginable power. Haven't helped anyone in close proximity to the source. Those being the people in the same room as Madison, uh, Madeline never touched, sent such ultimate terror or rage. Mm-hmm like being cast in the molten heart of a star. She doesn't know what the source shielded from her, but it felt like Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> she does not say that. It <laughs> would be a useful thing for her to say right now. Cause there's like this, this, this image of Madeline inside the room with everybody tossed about has no, nothing recognizable from p- previous panels. Like I, there is nothing to allow you to connect it to what has come before. Right, and and that makes it very difficult to figure out what's going
1: on. So you're you're saying that the person foremost in the panel f- floating, that's Madeline. Yes. Okay. I mean that makes sense. Uh, but you're right. And there's the, everything's and the,
0: and the person on the floor whose head is clearly battered against the wall, that was the mutant that was trying to, psychically, attack her. Sure. Or uh, psychically lobotomize her, I guess. And you know, because we kind of leave that as well as what happens.
1: Well, and from a pacing perspective, all of that stuff happened like five pages ago. Right. So there's not, not even really much there to help you connect. And there's like four colors on this entire panel. It would have made more
0: sense if the X-Men came through, didn't battle anybody. And immediately like storm said, uh, Betsy, reach out and see if there's anybody nearby. And then Betsy falls over. And then we cut back Mm. It would have, if it all happened more quickly and then maybe the X-Men bump into a bunch of guys.
1: Yes. It's, it's just. Yeah. It's a pacing issue. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Storm wants to know what the source was. She says she doesn't know it was shielded from her. She's not all that certain. She wants to find out what it actually was. Us too. (laughs) Yeah. So back on the mute train, uh, Rogue and Wolverine. Uh, well, they hop onto the train. Wolverine has to pop a claw, which, by the way, he did last issue without his powers. Right. But this issue, when he does it without his powers, he starts bleeding. No
0: power, no healing factor. Normally seals the wound open by the claw as soon as it's made.
1: So this, I mean, uh, we've seen Wolverine depowered only once before, which was X Men Annual number ten when he was an X baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> when he he had his claws, but he didn't have his power. Remember, everybody reverted back to their pre-power state. Uh, so this this I think is the third time he's used his claws in a depowered uh, state. The second time was last issue. So I'm thinking that maybe. Chris Claremont, or do you think him and Rick Leonardo were like, hey, wait a minute, don't you think you Uh,
0: bleed? Yeah, it's probably they're figuring it out, and I don't, maybe it was Chris Claremont, or maybe it was, maybe Rick Leonardo was like, hey, hey, what if, what if, since Wolverine doesn't have his healing factor, he can't heal the claws. Just think about that, Chris. And Chris (laughs) is like,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, yeah. We should do that. (laughs) And it makes this more compelling, right? And it all of a sudden makes Wolverine a little bit more vulnerable, uh, he's dying for some reason, and when he pops his claws, which are his most valuable asset, without his healing factor, he's bleeding. And it also adds that every time this happen happens, it blows through his his fist basically. So it must be painful every time it happens.
0: Rogue says we're running out of time. He's visibly weakening by the hour. If Wolvie's powers aren't restored, he'll die.
1: So kudos for them for putting a little bit more, uh, a little bit more lore into Wolverine's background, a la this issue. Yeah, it's about time. Uh huh. So everybody on the train is cringing and afraid of these two because they're dressed like magistrates, and they find Philip, who they they don't know who Philip is, but they find the guy that they have been tailing. Here's the boy.
0: The magistrate switched his clothes for a mutant skin suit. It's still cloth, though. Hasn't been through the bonding process that I just learned about in the previous panel. She
1: wasn't there for the previous panel, though. <laughs> not,
0: not sure how I know about that.
1: <laughs> Maybe they told her like off panel, like, ooh, we're going to put that skin suit on you and it's going to bond to you. <laughs> and when you, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to take care of all your bodily waste. It's amazing.
0: And all the mutants start to gather around Rogue and Wolverine because they don't like them being there and they're... Probably looks like they're about to put up a fight.
1: So, are these guys lobotomized? Because this guy comes up and he's like, "Why you not leave us be?" It seems like,
0: uh, well, Wolverine says, "Appears to me, Ace, the gene engineer's hot shot conditioning process ain't what it cracked up to be." So, I guess there's different levels of the conditioning. I'm like the guy who's like, "We maybe help, boss." He seems like he might be. A little bit farther gone than, than this guy who's like, not your place, why just, you leave us be?
1: I'm just having a problem figuring out the staging. Like, first you capture the mutant, second you put them in jail, third you put on the suit, and then from there, where do they go? Do they go to where Madeline was on the lobotomy table? I assume
0: so, because and somebody later says, once the mutants are here, they don't leave here. But,
1: but then why are these but I, but people then I on guess the train? Had-
0: They have to leave here.
1: They got to get put on the train, and then I guess I got
0: to I got to do their jobs. Well, their job function management.
1: (laughs) So it's it's jail suit lobotomized train bonding then job assignment.
0: Wait, what is bonding?
1: Bonding would be their skin suits being bonded to their bodies.
0: Oh no, I think bonding happens before lobotomy.
1: Oh, okay. So you think all the people on this train have their bonded skin suits? Philip doesn't because he was just thrown on the train. Right. Okay. All right. I buy that. Okay.
0: And then, of course, the last part is they're given a job task function.
1: Yes, a job task function. So somebody from outside the train yells, Mutants, stand where you are! And a bunch of lights come through the windows and the train stops.
0: And a bunch of magistrates come in from both sides and they yell at all the mutants, You dare threaten a magistrate?
1: Evidently, they overheard the mutants yelling at Wolverine and Rogue. Maybe
0: somebody comes up to them and says, "You're luckier than you deserve." You two, I think they just arrived, and it just happened to be they, 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 the timing is 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 good. Okay. Why do you think the directives forbid writing the M special in any less than squad strength?
1: Oh, okay. We had good reason. This is the gene engineer's son. They know how.
0: (laughs) Someone dressed him as a mutant and dumped him on a board and uh, on board. And the uh, the guy who's questioning them says. Exclamation mark question
1: mark exclamation mark I guess I guess they overheard the the magistrate's talking about the gene engineer something but do they Did these does Wolverine and Rogue know who or what a gene engineer is at this point?
0: Uh did they find out last issue?
1: Maybe they said like send them to the gene engineer but you know what Rogue Rogue was able
0: to get a oh, idea of yeah, the okay. whole hierarchy, sort of. When she ab- absorbed those two humans, okay. So she might know who uh, what a gene engineer is. I got you.
1: And so the magistrate's like, "Oh, Philip Moreau, this is awkward. Well, we'd better take him to the camp, let a echelon deal with him. Why not simply send the boy home? Normally, an intruder gets this far. This is home. But if he really is who you say." There'll be the devil to pay, and I want no part of it.
0: And Wolverine is carrying Philip to a little car, and as they're walk by the magistrates are beating all of the mutants that were threatening them, and Wolverine's pretty upset by it. Uh just get us the devil out of here. Yep. You're You all right, Logan? Nope. We'll come through this caper fine partner. You'll see. Don't matter. Don't care. What's eating you then? Before I die, ace I'm going to make some changes here, by all I hold holy. I swear, I'm going to bring this flaming country
1: down. In two weeks, the conclusion, going to be a revolution.
0: Going to be a revolution.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's going to be a revolution. (laughs) so i hear (laughs) yeah uh yeah so good issue in my opinion i mean the art it's fast-paced uh which is kind of what i like about the bi-weekly issues i don't know if it's they're trying to sell more books i mean i'm sure that's part of it or they just have so many stories bottled up that they're just trying to get them cranked out or they're just trying to get things lined up for inferno but i think even the inferno storyline is bi-weekly i don't think so no okay that could be
0: but it, I don't know. It might be. I don't, I don't think it is. Cause I think, I think we're about in, in, in year time of 1988, we're getting through, um, the summer okay. and they only, they only do the, the, uh, two, two week in the summer. Because everybody's got, like, their lawn mowing job. They're in a few extra shekels.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Well, what about the winter months when the kids are earning money shoveling driveways?
0: Uh, You know, kids don't leave their house. It's not worth it.
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know how this works.
1: I'll buy that. So, yeah, anyways, good stuff, good stories. Pretty happy with what we got. Nice and fast-paced. The other thing I like about um, this particular storyline is – I feel like this is one of the first uh, X-Men stories within their own comic line that um, is more, well, I mean, I guess, uh, Mutant Massacre. I was going to say that it feels like it's more than just a two-parter, but I think what it really is is that none of these issues really seem to have a beginning, middle, and end. It just yeah, feels, like, feels
0: like an arc.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's And it, it feels like it's one of the first arcs, like even, um, um, not Fall of the Mutants, but um, Mutant Massacre... Every issue seemed to kind of have a start and a conclusion, even if it would say like, we're going to get them. But there was still, still seemed like there was a beginning, middle and end. These just feel like the story's going, story just keeps going. And they're so like, this is all just middle, which is good. I, I kind of like this.
0: Yeah, I do. Too. I th- I think the, the pace, you're you're right. It's definitely a faster paced than it has been in the past. And that's actually, seems like it's working really well.
1: Yes, I agree. So if, uh, you know, I don't know. We got some we got some uh some fan mail. We sure did. We could open up that uh mailbag of fan mail. Do you like that idea, Adam? That
0: sounds like a great idea, okay.
1: man. <laughs> Geek Heaven from iTunes. We haven't had an iTunes review in a very long time, so this is exciting. Yeah, why
0: is that? Why do have people stop on iTunes stopped liking us?
1: You know, maybe Adam, I'm not too technically savvy, but you know, these things <laughs> come and go. Like, do the kids even Twitter anymore? I have no idea. Maybe nobody ah. maybe nobody gets their podcast from iTunes maybe they've all transitioned over to stitcher or something else
0: or Spotify
1: Spotify yeah yeah maybe maybe that's what it is but anyways yeah I don't know maybe maybe uh, maybe iTunes and and the uh, the whole um podcasting portion of that it's archaic and slow and and the app for it's no good could be I don't know but geek Heaven, a This person doesn't think so. Uh, I've always loved the movies and the animated series, but just now I'm reading the comics. The Marvel Universe is really daunting as a beginner, and I'm the kind of person that has to start everything at the beginning. Oof, that's that's rough. (laughs) 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 Thanks to these guys. Uh, Thanks to these guys can listen to all the early stuff and not be completely mind-boggled by retcons and time travel. The show is amazing and super funny, and the website is great. Love the pictures. Keep up the awesomeness. Well, I appreciate this, that. Th-
0: this, this was by Spaz Dazzle. It it's was o- titled Spaz. Geek Heaven.
1: Okay. Well, either way. Um, I think I think the best advice I could get for somebody who wants to get into the Marvel Universe uh, and not necessarily start at the beginning, because where would you define that? Is it like the original Submariner and Human Torch? Well, no. I think he's just reading, you know,
0: I'm assuming he's reading the X-Men from X-Men number one.
1: Yeah, and that you know, would be my advice is that if you want to get into the Marvel universe and Spider-Man is your favorite character, well, start there. Start with Amazing Fantasy number what? 15 and and read Spider-Man. Don't yeah. try to read Spider-Man, Avengers, Fantastic Four, the X-Men.
0: Well, if you if you want to start at the beginning of the Marvel universe in the 60s, you want to start with Fantastic Four number 1.
1: Right. That's true. Uh,
0: you don't have to read all that Captain America and Submariner stuff cuz most of it's not really Canon. It's more of the idea of it as canon,
1: right? And it's not really pertinent. Anything that is pertinent, they basically tell you in that issue.
0: On the other hand, that stuff is great. Like <laughs> all, all of that nineteen forties, their comics. They're 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 so different than comics are done in the sixties or especially today. And I really like that kind of weird insanity of it. I there's there's like a confusing logic to it which i kind of enjoy
1: i've not read i don't think i've ever read anything pre-1963 comic book wise so you've never
0: gone back and read uh, like original supermans or original batmans no never oh okay
1: uh i think i found my so uh uh i think when the first captain america movie came out there was like you know uh barnes and nobles had like a big like 50 years of Captain America, you know, kind of coffee table, it's Christmas, buy this piece of crap and get it out of my store thing. Speaking of Captain America, here's a great example. Did you know that
0: Bucky became Captain America's sidekick originally because Captain America was a, I think it was like Cub Scout or Boy Scout chief or, or head, and he had to change into his Captain America costume costume. And he was in his tent or whatever, and Bucky walked in on him, and he was like, well, now you know my secret, so you have to be my sidekick.
1: <laughs> I did not. And that's awesome. <laughs> but my point is, as I tried to read an issue out of that coffee table collection, uh, and and the artwork was weird, and, and the print <laughs> was weird, and everything was weird, and I think there was a lot of words on every page. Yeah, they were very wordy. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't make it very far. Anyhow, uh, we, we will... Keep up the awesomeness if you keep showing up. (laughs) (laughs) That's just you. Just you, nobody else. This this is all for you, spazdazzle. Uh, uh, Some Twitter at stuff going here. I believe it's Simon Peterson is saying that you sing, Adam, you sing a really good Star Jammers theme song. I'm not sure what this is from. he, He likes the Corsair Cyclops connection, but otherwise not a fan of the Star Jammers. I also not a huge fan of the Star Jammers.
0: I'm not sure how Twitter works, so he might not have been replying to us, but we got a mention in it. So
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Plus everybody, you know. I, I always like to bring out the uh the Star Jammers theme song.
1: Absolutely yes, any any opportunity you can. Do, do do you want to sing it right now? Honestly, it's the best part of the Star Jammers, right? <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. Star Jammers,
0: jamming across the universe, Star Jammers. <laughs>
1: All right, Internet, remix it. (laughs) (laughs) And Casey Clark from Facebook says, Hi, I'm making my way through your podcast. I'm on number 105. Well, greetings from the future from the past. Yes. When I get caught up in a month or so, I would like to retroactively quiz you on X-Men factoids for your 100th episode. I just wanted to write in response to the review you read in episode 99. I love your podcast. You guys represent the uh, this vast content in a super accessible way for X-Men fans that don't know whatever that guy thinks everyone knows. So, bald-
0: so somebody in episode 99 must have sent us a bad review.
1: I could be. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, guys don't know what they're talking about. We hear that a lot. All the time. Uh, you're both hilarious. Love the voices. Stay awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, I don't remember what we talked about in episode 99.
0: I'm impressed that Casey is going to get to, like, in one month, she's going to cover 160 episodes. I, I guess if you're binging something, you can get through it that quickly.
1: Careful now. Casey is a gender neutral name.
0: It's on Facebook. So I saw the the photo that came in with the image. So unless, unless Casey is a guy disguised with a female photo, which is a thing that happens on Facebook a lot, it is a woman.
1: Okay. Fair enough.
0: I uh, can only go by what is given to us.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, so Casey wants to retroactively quiz us. I'm confused.
0: It must be something related to that episode we 105 must, oh, so but we, we're
1: looking whatever it is we're looking forward to it so we must have we must have like thrown the gauntlet down like in a hundred episodes i want you to quiz us about the thing i just said And she's right near
0: episode 100 so maybe we had like an episode 100 thing
1: well, that could be well casey we look forward to whatever else it is you're going to send us
0: yeah we'll, we'll answer any questions and we'll give you tons of incorrect x-men factoids that's what we're good at
1: i hope our answer is i have no idea what you're talking about
0: probably man I don't remember things from that far back
1: (laughs) I don't remember what I had for breakfast let alone you know we've been doing this for almost eight years I know no I don't remember anything that's crazy that's crazy or or is it over eight years
0: I can't I don't even know I'm not even sure
1: and uh all of that time and investment has paid off because we are rolling in that podcast money oh yeah man woo (laughs) so much money Anyhow, uh, if you would like to join the conversation, please do so by contacting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger room Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. Email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. You can go to the aforementioned iTunes and search up Danger Room in the podcast section. We're the first one that shows up. You can leave us some stars or a review or subscribe. You can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Or you can go out to Patreon.com and give us some of that money we just talked about. Patreon.com forward slash Danger Room. Got a couple of levels, Adam. What do they get at the levels?
0: Uh... Well, at the $5 level, I think you're going to find out soon what you get because we have one $5 donor. Um, can we call them donors? Is that what they are? I don't know. Um, and, and we're going to be doling out his his reward very soon in an upcoming episode. Maybe the next episode.
1: Adam, they're not donors. They're patrons.
0: Oh yeah, that makes sense. It is Patreon, so yes. it's not Doneron.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe maybe that's how we make our money. We we're gonna start Donor-on, and we'll just be the competitor to Patreon. I like it. Let's I do it. Figure our business model has to be like whatever percentage Patreon keeps, we just gotta keep like one or two percent less.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs>
1: I'm in Doneron. Everybody, don't anybody donor-on. register Doneron.com before we can, or we'll sue. And that's how we'll really make our money. (laughs) Yes, because
0: lawsuits are great for everybody.
1: Mm -hmm. Anyhow, we read some more comic books. That's what we do. That is what we do. Um, I'm going to be honest, Adam, most of this material was forgettable, but I'll try. Okay. (laughs) X-Factor number 34 finds Angel fighting Cameron Hodge over Candy Southern. And I'm not entirely sure, but I think both Candy and Cameron uh, Cameron Hodge end up fake dead at the end.
0: Well, I think Candy ends up real dead.
1: She So throughout the issue, uh, Cameron Hodge says, like, that, that's her body, it's alive, her soul is gone. And then at the end, Warren is kind of like mourning, like, oh, Candy, Candy. Um, it looks like Cameron's head gets removed, but it really can't tell. Um, but spoilers he's not dead I'm just yeah. gonna come out and say it <laughs> but it definitely looks like this is supposed to be the fight to the death like uh Cameron Hodge gives a lot of backstories like I did all this because I looked up to you and then you grew those wings and then you flew off and you're a hero and you forgot about human Cameron Hodge so I vowed that when I grew up I was gonna kill you and then you came to me with X Factor and that was funny because I wanted to kill you and here I am I'm about to kill you and then they fight and Uh, Seemingly Cameron Hodge gets killed. Also, Cameron Hodge definitely made a deal with Nastir for kids. Uh, Cameron Hodge gave uh, Nastir a location of an orphanage that has actual infants. And Nastir's part of the deal is to make sure that Cameron Hodge and the right uh, live and succeed and are prosperous.
0: So that, that might explain why Cameron Hodge can dead, but be dead, but also come back. Because he kind of uh, implies that. He's like, you can kill me, but I'll be back.
1: Yeah. Um, and we get a little bit more of Orphan Maker and Nanny. Orphan Maker's what? name is Peter, we find out.
0: The, they didn't have names before this, did they?
1: I feel like the egg uh, nanny... Yeah, I don't think we knew that the egg person's name was Nanny. I feel like in one of the little issues we saw... Uh, Nanny was like, "You're my little orphan maker. Go get them." Right, right. But now they are calling each other uh, these names. So these definitely are their names. We're still not quite sure of their motivations. I mean, orphan maker is killing parents and taking babies, but they do go out of their way to say these right people are crazy. Yeah,
0: they have somehow acquired a list from the right um, of, of all of the babies that I guess the demons were planning to kidnap, or maybe the right was planning to kidnap. So they've been tracking down babies in this list and rescuing them by killing their parents. And we don't know what to what end. Yeah. They just have a ship full of babies and they're leaving uh, a bunch of dead parents in their path.
1: Yep. Um, Marvel girl makes her way back to ship and sees Cyclops about to fly off. Uh, The ship has, I guess done some computations and has figured that a very probable location of Scott's, Baby is in Nebraska, the same orphanage where Cyclops was raised, which and also
0: the same uh, orphanage where Astir is supposedly headed.
1: Yes, so the storylines maybe will converge in Nebraska. I think so. Yes, and I think it's safe to say the end of this issue says Inferno is minus one and counting. So I wonder. I feel like uh, is Inferno a Luis and Walt Simonson brainchild that everybody else is just kind of kind of writing towards because it feels to me like most of the stuff is happening in X Factor and Exterminators, which is all Luis Simonson and a little bit of Walt Simonson.
0: Um, I think it's well. I mean, I'm imagining that Chris Claremont and Luis Simonson and Walt Simonson and maybe some other people are kind of working it out together. I don't. I don't think it's just going to be in X Factor ish thing. Well,
1: no, it's not. It definitely crosses the entire Marvel universe, and and certainly all throughout the mutant titles. But to me, it felt like uh, uh, the Fall of the Mutants was like Chris Claremont wanted to do this thing because the other Fall of the Mutants kind of felt phoned in. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, uh, if Louis Simon's like, "Hey, I want to do a thing. Can I kind of like, can I steer this ship?" And they're like, "Sure. What do you got? We'll, we'll, we're good. Let's go. Let's write it. You go." So I just wonder if they're taking their cues from her. Is all. Maybe. I,
0: I mean, know. yeah. Um, there certainly is a lot of material that comes out of it from the X-Men side.
1: Sure. sure certainly, but, uh, certainly. So Excalibur number two.
0: I thought this issue was a lot of fun. Um, it, I don't know
1: what's going on and I kind of like that about it. See, that's, and that's uh, a couple of things that come out of this particular issue for me is number one, uh, the artwork, Alan Davis and Paul Neary, fantastic artwork, like you just as usual. cannot can go wrong with the artwork. Uh, the colors are in general just very vivid. The artwork's fantastic. I don't like the warwolves. I mean, let me back that up. I like the word warwolves, <laughs> and I like silver robotic dogs called warwolves. What I don't like are warwolves that talk and warwolves that can change their body type. To match the skin that they have stolen.
0: It's very goofy. It's it's a it's a goofy concept, and I kind of like how silly slash stupid it is.
1: I also don't like that they talk. Like what I would like is that the werewolves are just like these super evil silver dogs that are controlled by like a headmaster.
0: Yeah, but this is going against your expectations. Yeah, it you is know. for sure. Chris Claremont is playing with certain things and seems like he's and it seems like he's having a good time with this comic book.
1: I almost wonder if it's more Alan Davis than it is Chris Claremont. I wonder if Alan Davis is kind of like, Could be. this is what I want to draw. And Chris Claremont's like, sure, I'm good. There
0: are The dialogue is very Chris Claremonty heavy though. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's got all of his signature things that he says and, and repeats and all of that type of stuff.
1: There's a scene where they're bringing back skins from the city to their lair and in their lair this is goofy right they got teen wolf posters american wolf werewolf in london the howling et cetera. but they start cracking beers yeah <laughs> which i don't know and sitting on chairs and then i guess the tie-in back to uh the this the bookshelf format the uh drawing of the sword or whatever is that they take on siskel and ebert guises and start reviewing kitty's performance um yeah
0: which is weird
1: kind of a mojo tie-in i guess Uh, although Kitty compares it to Siskel and Ebert. Um, But really, like, not not much really happens. (laughs) So the werewolves have kidnapped
0: Kitty, as we know, and the rest of Excalibur are looking for the werewolves, or werewolves. And um, what essentially happens is that Phoenix gets wind of where uh, Kitty is, and the werewolves figure out that Kitty is not Phoenix, who is who they wanted. So the werewolf decides to skin um, Kitty in the manner that they do, which is basically eating the people and leaving their skin that the werewolves can now wear. Mm -hmm. Except with the process with Kitty, for some reason, instead, because she's partially phased, it reacts to the werewolves' bodies, I guess, and the... She becomes a part of the werewolf and eventually with help with the help of Phoenix she's able to dominate the werewolf that has more or less swallowed her. It's weird.
1: It's very weird. So a werewolf essentially turns into kitty and then kitty climbs out of the werewolf. Excalibur shows up, saves the day, and they're like, well, what are we gonna do with these things? Kitty has an idea, and they put them in the London Zoo. And in the yep. London Zoo, they have their posters, they have a television, they've got a chair, and then they speculate. They're like, well, it's a good thing we killed the other two. And we see a werewolf with a knowing look, reading his newspaper, sm- smoking his pipe. He knows better. Those two werewolves aren't dead. Yeah. Um, again, it's goofy.
0: Yeah, it's, it's super goofy.
1: And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just in the context of the X, Uncanny X-Men universe, I don't think any of this matters. Well, At, at this it, point, anyways.
0: Yeah, it's very different than the tone of all the other books. And, and it doesn't really connect other than the fact that it's got some of the characters. Yep. So Wolverine number one uh, picks up right from the Marvel Comics Presents uh, series. More or less, except uh, he doesn't make it to Madripoor, I think, until the end. Um, so he has uh, – he, he is the, – uh, there was a plane that had Mariko's, um, I don't know, secretary or something on it, somebody named Kojima Nuboro. And Wolverine that, – that plane got hijacked. And Wolverine tracks it down to an island and basically kills everybody that hijacked the plane and rescues all of the uh, – yeah. People that were kidnapped, and we get the classic line, you know, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do best isn't very nice.
1: Is this the first time we see it, like, as articulately as we're going to see it?
0: I think they might, it might be, it might be in the end they drop the second best, where it's, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. Right, right. But here it's, but what I do best isn't very nice. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Them.
1: I feel like there's been other iterations of that, though, that have been, there, like... There probably are probably More wordy, but I feel like this is the first, like, mostly concise version that, that there I was. seeing. There was a version that we
0: had read previously that we commented about how it was a little more wordy than it needed to be. Right. Okay. So uh, Wolverine learns after killing most of the uh, hijackers that... There is this Muramusa blade, which is some sort of sword of evil um, that the hijackers were after, and he ends up going back to Madripoor to an airport where he bumps into Lindsay McCabe, who you may or may not remember from X-Men, who's one of the people that the X-Men bumped into in San Francisco.
1: I remember Lindsay McCabe.
0: And Wolverine bumps into her just to uh, make sure that he doesn't, she doesn't recognize him in his amazing patch outfit.
1: <laughs> yes, and she has no idea who he is,
0: right? Which is stupid. <laughs> yes.
1: Throughout the entire comic book, because this isn't their first interaction with each other.
0: Yeah, and and yeah, yeah. They they uh, he he ends up saving her from another group of people um, that are after the Muramasa blade, and still she doesn't know who he is. And it turns out that Jessica Drew, also from that issue, uh, also the Black No Spider Woman, mm-hmm. is is on her way. Um, to, uh, she had, she actually has the sword and she's, she's, she's meeting who she thinks is Kojima Nuburo, but as Wolverine knows, he's dead now. So who is she meeting? I don't know. We'll find out next issue.
1: So, yeah, I guess what I like about this, I guess I have a question for you. And if it's a spoiler, then don't say anything. But does Wolverine spend the majority of the early issues of Wolverine not in his Wolverine costume? Yes. Okay. So this is kind of like, this is just like a uh, an adventure thriller type book.
0: Yeah, yeah. With very um, with
1: less superheroics.
0: Yeah. Essentially, remember that Dazzler storyline where uh, Wolverine was fighting... Um, that uh, – who was the guy? You know, the Dazzler one where she was she was sending a postcard to her buddy O.J. OG, OG Chase or whatever his name is. O.Z. Chase. Yeah, yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. It, th- that feels like that was the kind of Chris Claremont playing with that type of story where it's more of a – it's less of a superhero story and more of a kind of a mystery sort of thing.
1: Do you – maybe we talked about this, but do you think that that particular issue was like – an unused Wolverine or Dazzler script. That uh, could be. That they're just like, ah, I don't know what we're going to do with this. Let's just throw it in as like a flashback.
0: Yeah, they needed a filler. Mm-hmm. So his costume is the one that you see in the middle of the book where he says, I'm the best there is at what I do. And it's this black sleeveless jumpsuit with yep. the weird thing across his eyes. That is his costume for at least the first eight issues, I want to say.
1: I mean, at some point, Wolverine starts wearing like the yellow suit, like his, his normal suit. And does yes. Wolveriney things. Like...
0: Around issue ten, I think.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting. When does Larry Ham Hama take over?
0: 31 or 34 or something. Oh,
1: we gotta wait. So to not go. for a while. Okay. And 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 it gets bad before that. Oh, is Chris Claremont writing it or does he Chris
0: Claremont starts writing it I think after issue I think his last issue is nine. Oh, and then Peter David takes it for a while, then John Byrne takes it for a while, and then it just gets really bad.
1: Under and, John Byrne, and, or is there like a well, bunch of guest guests?
0: The Peter the Peter David storyline is not great. The John Byrne storyline is not great. And then the storyline, the guest storylines after that, one of which I think is even pencils by Jim Lee, it's still not great. Okay. And it, it just, I don't know, maybe, maybe rereading it this time, I'll get more value out of it than I got as a kid. But as a kid, I was, I was, I was falling off the wagon and thankfully Larry Hama showed up and I was like, it started just getting better. I didn't even realize who Larry Hama was at that time.
1: Wow. sounds like we got a lot of, uh, uninteresting stories in the Wolverine universe coming up after the first nine. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking like we're getting to the point where we
0: have new mutants X-Factor, Wolverine, Excalibur. That's like four supplemental issues per episode. We might have to start cutting these back to something much simpler.
1: Um, (laughs) It's a lot of material.
0: Because we're going to get, you know, there's there's a whole other X-Men title coming. Yeah, not for Uh, a while. We'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, But I imagine sometimes we may not. We might start skipping over some issues is what I'm saying. We'll see how it goes. Or or summarizing them in one word, like, yeah, that issue's not really worth talking about. Nothing happened.
1: Adam, if I read a book, I'm talking about a book. Fair enough. Speaking of one final book, Marvel Comics Presents number 11. Don't forget, Marvel Comics Presents will feature in X-Men forever.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So. This one I thought was better than the last one.
1: I did too, although I, you're going to have to remind me what happens. <laughs>
0: So where we left off was the little kid had discovered some people in the woods uh, about to murder another person. And we learned that these people report to some Russian guy we don't really know about. Um, and then they all have mutant powers, these three people that are killing somebody. We don't know why they're killing this person yet. Um And then Colossus is found spying on the family and the family gets really upset about it or the dad gets really upset about it. But then the wife invites him over and asks him about mother Russia and then the kid screams. And so Colossus runs over to get into a fight with the three people that were about to kill the kid. And that's pretty much where we leave off. And they're all mutants.
1: The doctor guy or whatever, whoever the guy that seems to be running the show here, uh, He's he's got OCD or something like that. He's washing his hands compulsively.
0: Yeah, and the his his manservant keeps commenting on it. It's like, oh, he washed his hands eleven times today. This is gonna be a long day. And then he washes his hands again. And he's like,
1: ugh, twelve. Ready for breakfast, sir? First, I must wash my hands. Ugh, twelve.
0: Okay. Yeah, and that was a nice touch. I, like, I liked. Yeah, I like it's, all that stuff. It's a good
1: personality tw- uh, tw- tweak. It's, yeah. it's it's like that guy. that had the real problem, who flew an airplane? Who am I thinking of, Adam? Leonardo DiCaprio played him in a movie.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, the movie. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's that's a Martin
1: Scorsese movie. I've never seen the movie. It's a good movie, The Aviator.
0: Um, But who's the guy? uh, Who is the guy? He's a famous guy. You should know his name. He's
1: very famous. I'm sure the moment we hear the name, we'll be like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to type in Aviator
0: into Google and... Howard Hughes. I didn't there even have go. to type it in. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Howard Hughes. And now I'm going to type it in just to confirm it. Howard Hughes. Yes.
1: So this is like, I think, a Russian Howard Hughes kind of character? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Okay. So We're learning more. It's getting better. Yep. So yeah, Colossus' story seems to be shaping up into something decent. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Adam, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? No, no. I think uh, this, is, uh, this is another one in the books. All right, then. Well, then until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed.